Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we're here examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and uh, that you had a good time. You know, I had a lot of people that shared with me how much they enjoyed last week's program. And I shared with my family as I gathered around the table that this last Thanksgiving was the 400th anniversary. And I sure love how Paul Blair brought in what Pastor John Robinson said and his message to those early settlers that came across to the New World to uh, settle and continue on living here in the New World and in America, which uh, was really the foundation for the United States of America. That's right, Jimmy. That was a very illuminating show last week, and it does give you a new appreciation for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for that reason, as well as for maybe some more... Um, Temporary reasons, the, the all the food you can eat and the football you can watch was kind of fun as well this year. And also uh, this year, my youngest child, this was her first Thanksgiving, our first Thanksgiving to spend with her. So a special time was had in the DeYoung family. Yes, uh, the start of many traditions for years to come. Well, we've got a great program today in store, again, with uh, Ken Temmerman, David Dolan, Winky Madad, and of course, Steve Herzig is here speaking about Hanukkah because the Jewish holiday or holy days of Hanukkah are coming up next week. So we have Steve here. And of course, the Legacy Series with our father, Dr. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. Well, let's get started with our program today. And that's right. We do have Ken Timmerman with us today. He joins us on this post-Thanksgiving weekend. Ken, how was your Thanksgiving? Uh, Rick, it was, it was great. Uh, we were in the south of France, and uh, uh, we had a wonderful lunch and, and, and ultimately wound up in the American Cemetery in Draguignan uh, in the rain, paying our respects to the 840 Americans who died on the beaches of the south of France during the August 15th, 1944 landing. Well, that sounds like a totally appropriate way to spend your Thanksgiving. Were you the only one celebrating Thanksgiving in France, or do they celebrate Thanksgiving there? I don't think they do, do they? Well, you know, you know, Art Buchwald, who is a satirical writer for the New York Times and the uh, uh, International Herald Tribune for years and years and years, used to call it Le Jour du Merci Donnant, which is a literal uh, translation, which means absolutely nothing in French. So no, they do not celebrate it, uh, but we have lots of fun talking about it. <laughs> well, well, great. Well, let's get right to it. We have lots of news stories to cover, and most of them center around China this week. Very busy week there. The first story that I'd love to get your take on is the fact that uh, President Biden is putting together a democracy summit, and he is not inviting Russia or China. Well, if you were going to put together a democracy summit, why wouldn't you invite <laughs> yeah, Russia or China? I mean, from that point of view, it makes sense. But this is a feel-good gesture on the part of the Biden administration. And it's not a summit. It's a Zoom call. This is an international Zoom call with hundreds of participants. 110 nations have been invited. Uh, you know, I, I Really, it's beyond me to imagine what you can possibly accomplish in a Zoom call like that, uh, it's, it is a feel-good gesture to make countries like India and Pakistan, who are invited, make, uh, make them believe that they are members of the world, you know, uh, of democracies. Uh, there was a time when the United States, uh, under both Democrats and Republicans, toyed with the idea of an Anglican uh, summit or a, a, a group of English-speaking nations, because Australia... New Zealand, Great Britain, Canada, and the U.S. 
have a great deal in common uh, that is not shared by other countries, even the French, the Germans, uh, the Argentinians, or other so-called democratic nations. As English-speaking countries, we have a shared culture and a shared history, but that notion, I think, was ultimately uh, buried for good under Obama as being uh, too Anglo-Saxon-centric. So this, this idea of a democracy summit uh, is a, a feel-good gesture by the Democrats. Everybody in the world is invited except a handful of countries that are flagrant uh, human rights violators, such as Russia, China, North Korea, uh, and Iran. Well, then that leads me to my second question, and this one would probably be much more serious in its nature. I have also heard reports coming out that uh, due to China's buildup in their military and signals that are being sent, it may look like the U.S. should seriously prepare for war with China. Is this an actual hot war that may be on the horizon? I don't think it is for the next year or two. Uh, The Chinese want to get through the Olympics next year. Very important for them to have a successful Winter Olympics uh, without any conflict, especially a conflict over Taiwan. The next real flashpoint on the horizon is the election in Taiwan for the new president in 2023. Uh, right now, the current president, who is uh, you know, reemphasizing the relationship with the United States and building up the military, uh, President Tsai, her vice president, uh, Lai King Tsai, is thinking of running, and this Vice President Lai is very pro-American, very devoted to Taiwanese independence from China. This is something that angers the communists in Beijing. Uh, President Xi of China has said he will not tolerate an independent Taiwan. Right now, Taiwan is in kind of this in-between purgatorial status. Uh, Vice President Lai has said that he would like to see Taiwan become fully independent, And the Taiwanese are building up their military forces with the help of the United States. But look, here's the thing. The Chinese know that even today, if they really wanted to pay the price, they have the capability to take Taiwan by force. And we know this how. You have the Taiwanese defense minister, uh, Chu Keqing, who testified in Congress in October, the U.S. Congress, the United States, October 6th. And he said, look, the Chinese have got the capability to take the island of Taiwan, but they would pay a very high price. They're not ready to pay that price now, either politically or militarily. Now, one other thing to throw in the mix, Rick, in this mix is very important, Rick, to understand, is the Taiwan semiconductor industry. I've been very keen on Taiwan semiconductors until these tensions with China heated up about a year ago, and they are a huge, huge target for the Chinese communists. They, would, they have the most advanced uh, semiconductor foundries in the world. They currently have seven, um, what's it called, micromillimeter uh, foundries, and they're going down to five microns uh, soon, which is the mm. most advanced in the world. And the Chinese would love to get their hands on that. They are several generations away from that uh, level of semiconductor production. So that is a, something, an added incentive in the mix for the Chinese, but I don't see anything happening until the Taiwanese presidential elections of 2023. Well, we'll certainly keep an eye on that. I guess my final question here for you, Ken, this week, we'll move away from Europe and China and go to the Middle East. And the U.S. is threatening, in advance of maybe resuming the talks with Iran, the U.S. is threatening to escalate the dispute with the International Atomic Energy Agency. Well, you know, Rick, I, I whenever 
somebody talks to me about the IAEA getting tough with Iran or somebody else or the United States going there and asking them to get tough, I think of a spaghetti dinner. Uh, it's really uh, not, again, it's, it's, it's about as tough as cooked spaghetti. Uh, the IAEA <laughs> has been uh, demanding that the Iranians um, provide missing video footage from these surveillance cameras that they have in a couple of the nuclear facilities in Iran. The Iranians just thumb their noses at them. Uh, they asked to reinstall new cameras. The Iranians thumb their noses. They asked the Iranians to do this, to do that, and the Iranians couldn't care less. Why? Because there is no enforcement mechanism at this point. I don't see the Biden team, the B-team Biden, going to the IAEA, as George W. Bush did in 2005, and saying, look, the Iranian government, the Iranian regime, is in violation of the Non-Proliferation Treaty on Nuclear Weapons, and we should therefore impose U.N. Security Council sanctions on them after the IAEA makes a finding that they are in violation. I don't see the Biden administration going to the IAEA, asking them for a finding, and then going to the U.N. for sanctions. It's just not going to happen. They are to embed with the mullahs in Tehran and too eager to have an agreement with them at any cost. Well, we understand the situation here, and much of that is due to your willingness to come on our show and explain to our listeners. So we thank you so much for that, and we look forward to seeing you again or talking to you again next week. My pleasure, Rick. It's always a pleasure. God bless. Rick, I know that you said with Ken Timmerman that you know we cover these nations a lot, but I got a question from Mark Johnson who sent in a question. He says, I think Israel will strike Iran to stop them from having a nuclear bomb. I have a feeling that war in the Middle East is about to break out, and he couldn't be more true about that statement uh, You know, as far as what's taking place. And of course, with Bible prophecy, we know that these nations are going to come against Israel. And that's Ezekiel 38. Uh, that's uh, Daniel 11, Psalm 83. We talk about that a lot. But that's not going to happen until after the rapture of the church. And then Mark says, I think Russia, China uh, may join forces. My question is, do you think I'm correct on the Israel-Iran conflict and with Russia and China being allies? Well, we do see Russia as Magog in Ezekiel 38 and China as one of the kings out of the east. Now, I do see this uh, coming together of these nations really playing a part uh, at, at one point. China and Russia might be working together to uh, become the world's superpowers, but Russia will be defeated in the first part of the tribulation, and then China will come and make its way towards Israel, where it will be defeated at the end of the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 16, uh, Revelation chapter 14 with the battle of Armageddon. So these are all things that we keep our eyes on from week to week, Rick. So that was a great interview with Ken Timmerman. It was, and we do cover the same stories because that's where the news is taking place. That's where a new political leaders come in, uh, new personalities enter into the dynamic. And so we keep you informed and keep you aware of these events and what's taking place. And, and as time goes on, we'll try to introduce new topics, but we are definitely going to continue to monitor these situations. Well, we're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, David Dolan will be here with his Mideast News Update. And then don't forget, Israel Madad and Steve Herzig will be here talking about Hanukkah and everything that has to do with Israel as far as the political situation today, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. 
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. More than 50 churches were banned from gathering in India's Madhya Pradesh state last week. The ban came as a result of pressure from nationalist groups. Christians in India continue to be targeted by nationalist and religious extremist groups. With Christmas approaching, Eric with Mission India says believers are bracing for more persecution. Pray that India's believers would be encouraged at this time and find community this Christmas. And deaf teams in El Salvador are back to working in person following pandemic lockdowns earlier this year. With support from Wycliffe USA and a local church, deaf believers are translating God's word into their native sign language. Most of the deaf in El Salvador don't identify with religion. In order to grow in their faith and knowledge of Jesus, they need scripture in Salvadoran sign language. Pray for the health and safety of the translation team as they press forward with this task. Details at missionnews.org. Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a listener-supported service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Well, welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio. This is Rick DeYoung, and I'm here with our good friend Dave Dolan in this post-Thanksgiving program. And we're here to go over the Middle East News update. But first, Dave, I wanted to talk to you, one, about how was your Thanksgiving. Secondly, uh, you have told us in the past, but I don't think you've ever told our listeners about a nephew of yours that is doing a wonderful work in Haiti. And I, I think that I would love to hear about it again, and they would as well. Well, thanks, Rick. Yeah, uh, I wasn't with him at Thanksgiving, but he is here uh, in the States at present getting some medical treatment that he needed. He left Port-au-Prince last month, and that was difficult because, of course, there were missionaries, American and one Canadian missionaries, kidnapped near the airport there, I think, uh, in October. So uh, they had to smuggle him out in a van, uh, two drivers in the front, and they had him hidden in the back. But he got out safely, and he'll be going back there after Christmas. I will be with him on Christmas. But he and his wife have a wonderful ministry in a small village in western Haiti, very close, actually, to where the earthquake was centered that uh, killed quite a few people there. They have a health clinic. She's a registered nurse and runs it. They also have an orphanage there that they built and operate. And they've got three natural kids. They've adopted, uh, oh, six now, I think. Mm. Two of them are Haitians, four from the States. So they love children. They love taking care of people. And I was out there on Thanksgiving, actually, four years ago. I took them uh, some food and some supplies and uh, got to see their work up close. A small village, but they are so respected. The people follow 
um, Jill, uh, Ryan's wife, uh, Ryan Dolan, they follow her around as if she were Mother Teresa. They're very, very well loved there and do a great work. And uh, I just uh, love them dearly and uh, am so proud of them. Well, I thought around Thanksgiving here, that seems to me to be such a special story. doesn't necessarily deal with what we usually deal with here, but I'm sure our listeners would love to keep Jill and Ryan in their prayers. Thank you. I know they, they can use it. They have a lot of challenges, and security situations very difficult, but they love the Lord. They serve Him. They trust Him, and uh, they keep their eyes open, but uh, they walk with Him, and uh, it's just a great calling. They left a very successful, <laughs> prosperous life uh, near Seattle to go out to Haiti to minister to the yeah. needy people there, and that's uh, that's the Lord in action. That's what I'd say. Absolutely. Well, let's get back to our normal order of business here, and we'll uh, start off in the Middle East again, and talking about the Iran nuclear program, and Israel has been doing some uh, exercises in the desert there near the Red Sea and a lot, and it looks like the threat of an Israeli strike on the Iran nuclear program is becoming more of a possibility. Well, it is, Rick, but it's precisely because Iran is going full steam ahead on that program. They themselves announced just a few weeks ago that they have produced 25 kilograms of uranium that's enriched up to 60% purity. Now, that's just below what is needed to produce a nuclear bomb. They could uh, rapidly, within one month, the experts say, get it up to a nuclear weapons-grade uh, material. Of course, it has to be fitted on a in a rocket, a warhead on a ballistic missile. Whether they could do that right away or whether they have that already prepared, we just don't know. But they're moving full stop ahead. Now, the talks begin again in Vienna on Monday between uh, world powers and Iran about uh, that uh, accord that was signed in 2015 that President Trump withdrew from in 2018. Uh, and, of course, the Iranians now massively violating pretty much everything they agreed to in that accord. One of the problems with that original accord was that most of the provisions expired anyway in 2025. It was only a 10-year agreement. Well, now it's nearly 2022, so Israel would be facing the prospect of a nuclear-armed Iran uh, either way. But right now it looks like it could happen at any time. And as you say, Israel's been stepping up its military preparations, and not only Israel, they've been out in the um, Red Sea with exercises with Bahrainian and United Arab Emirate troops and American troops. Uh, seven air forces, as you said, uh, had a joint exercise uh, near Elat in the south of of uh, Israel. And as I mentioned, for the first time since 1948, British aircraft participated in that uh, uh, exercise along with Greece and others. So they're getting ready for the possibility, but of course it would be a very, as I've said so many times, a very difficult military operation given that Iran's nuclear program is spread out all over that large country, and they have air defenses, they have aircraft, they have submarines, they have the allies, is the main thing that we've often discussed, uh, all around Israel, surrounding Israel, that would join in any conflict probably, so it wouldn't be a quick and easy war. Israel, of course, did destroy 
Iraq's uh, nuclear reactor in 1981. I was in the north of Israel at the time, heard the planes go overhead. And then in 2007, they destroyed a Syrian nuclear reactor. I was in Tel Aviv at the time when the planes went overhead, the aircraft. And uh, there was little repercussions from those two things, but Iran's a whole different story, and the Israelis know it. So they got to uh, walk very carefully here. But as they've always said, they cannot allow Iran to become a nuclear-armed state. Well, shifting gears a little bit from Iran and Israel's relationship in that with Syria as well, and this is another very interesting question, and 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 revolves around Israel internally. But I have seen some new reports that by the year 2050, one in three Israeli Jews will be the ultra-Orthodox religious Jews. Well, actually, right now it's about one in three, uh, about 30, 35%. So, in other words, what they were saying, and that was a, the National Economic Council in Israel gave that projection for 2050, uh, we should live that long. But um, it would mean that basically the Haredi or Orthodox community will continue to be about a third of the country they're projecting. They're not losing followers. They have large families, and uh, traditionally most of them do. And uh, they'll continue to be a major um, body politic in the country of Israel. And I think that's mainly for the good because they bring some spiritual values uh, to the country. They're morally against abortion, for instance, and this sort of thing. So it's a good balance to the ultra-liberal communities that we see down in Tel Aviv and elsewhere. Well, there certainly are some ultra-liberal communities there. And we do know, just switching gears a little bit to looking at end times prophecy, we do know that Israel is going to play a role. Now, uh, these... um, the ultra-Orthodox, studying Scripture, um, and of course us as Christians, we look uh, differently as to how they would uh, w- would view Scripture, but as they study Scripture, uh, their role in the end times is going to come into play. It's just very interesting development. It is, and of course for the first time ever, Israel has a kippah-wearing prime minister, a prime minister that is an observant Jew, and openly so, Benjamin Netanyahu had some strong religious views, too, but uh, not so much that he would wear a kippah all the time, you know, the head covering, and uh, Naftali Bennett does. So uh, another indication, as such as prayer, increasing prayer on the Temple Mount, that we're moving into the, those last days, and all the prophecies will be fulfilled, as the Scriptures say. Very much so. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we hope you have a good week there. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you, Rick. God bless. Rick, that's a great question that you asked about the the number of religious Orthodox Jews, the Haredi, who are coming into Israel. One out of every three, that number is growing. One of the reasons that we point to that is the fact that we believe that Israel will divide, not to two states as far as the Israelis and the Palestinians, but to two Jewish states. And in the past, Dad and myself and you, we've been involved with talking with religious Jews that were really 
instrumental in writing a a new constitution for a new Jewish state. So we do see that the amount of religious Jews in the land might well split. And according to Bible prophecy, Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 15 and following, talks about that prophet was told to hold these two sticks on which he had written what the Lord had told him in the sight of the exiles. He was to explain that Yahweh promised to bring exiles from both kingdoms back into the land. He would make them one united kingdom of them again and set up one king over all of them. They would no longer be two nations, a divided kingdom. The Lord promised to deliver them from the many places where they had gone and sinned and to cleanse them. Then they would enter into a proper relationship with him. In the present state of Israel, only about 5% of the population is actively religious, and Jesus Christ is more firmly rejected there than almost anywhere else. So I think it's important that we keep our eyes on the religious and secular community of the nation of Israel in today's culture in which we are seeing these things uh, come to pass. Well, we're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking to Winky Madad and then Steve Herzig, uh, both uh, talking on Hanukkah and issues that are facing the Jewish people today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. along with my brother Rick. This next half hour, we have Israel Madad. And we have Steve Herzig coming to talk to us about Hanukkah. But first, we go to Rick and Israel Madad. And we have with us today our broadcast partner, Winky Madad. Winky joins us most every week. Winky, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. It's been a wonderful week so far. Well, that's great. I have a... Several different questions, so let's get started. My first question, I know that Mahmoud Abbas from the Palestinian Authority met with Putin this week, and he's looking for Russia to take a lead role in the peace process. What can you tell us about that? Well, my first response is, again, the Palestinian Authority, the leaders of the Arabs of the what I call the former Mandate of Palestine, are unwilling to do anything themselves. It's a very clear path to peace, which has to include the willingness to recognize Jewish national rights, willing to compromise, and, and to negotiate as, as most normal nations do, looking outside of the conflict, in this case to Mr. Putin, who has been, I think, honorable to Israel, if not the most positive person. We're talking about actions in Lebanon and most seriously in Syria and other places, 
But we do have very good relations, and I'm not going to say that he's an enemy of the state of Israel, but it's more complicated than that. But Abbas, looking outside, again, is seeking to shirk responsibility. And I think I've mentioned this on this program before, that our suspicions are that any negotiation and any perhaps deal will always leave open the door for the other side to make additional claims down the road, whether further retreat and withdrawal from territory, whether increased Palestinian so-called refugees, etc. And this is my first reaction to the item, and it shows you the difference between the thinking in Israel and the thinking in, in Ramallah. Well, along those same lines, and you're talking about concessions and territories, I know the EU is making noise with several representatives coming to Israel and talking about how Israel is looking to sever Jerusalem from the west of the West Bank with development, land development around the city. Well, I could say a few choice words, but let me say that the EU <laughs> is the most irrelevant institution or international body to the Middle East-Arab-Israel conflict. Uh, they have it all wrong. Their, their activities, their decisions, their pressures in the press, their links with anti-Zionist and left-wing radicals in the area leaves them as a well-funded, a well-paid group of people who we claim, of course, at least in six cases, as I think we discussed this about three weeks ago, uh, are funding actually organizations that are hiring and paying the salaries of terrorists. So I don't think getting any further into this will be very helpful to the listeners anyway. I think they know my views on this. All I can say is, is that the land on which one of the major projects that's just been decided upon, not the E-1 project, but the one in Atarot, which was the former airport of Jerusalem, is going to be built on land 95% was purchased a century ago by Jews or individuals or Jewish organizations. So I don't see the EU coming into this at all. Well, we move from that to a situation that is probably much more dear to your heart. And we see this week that the Education Committee of Israel's Knesset said in a historic statement that every Israeli student should visit the Temple Mount. And it seems like they are trying to increase the the focus of the Temple Mount for the daily life of uh, Jewish or Israeli school children. What can you tell us about that? Well, again, uh, as you say, I, I'm, I'm delighted. I, I, I am happy. We've always had problems with the Israeli educational system. Many years ago, I'm talking about now, about 20 years ago, there was an initiative to have Jewish school children go down to Hebron. The Jews came to Hebron all over the centuries. There's no reason why Jewish school children, or even Arab school children for that matter, now that we have Hebron completely under control, do not go there. Uh, there was a time when Jerusalem had a problem. They also had to make a special regulation that within the first years of junior high school and high school, every Jewish or every school child, I think, or even I don't think they did uh, divide it up between Jews and Arabs, uh, would have to visit Jerusalem. I mean, these are things uh, that if you open up old Zionist history books, you can see Jewish school children before World War One, talking about now over a century ago, making visits to Nablus, Shem, that we call it. Janine, Jericho, Hebron, the Palmach, the left-wing militia during the pre-state days, 
their training activities was walking to Hebron from Jerusalem. All of a sudden, now that we're a state, we have sovereignty, all of a sudden Zionist values and history seem to disappear because all become political. And that should be denied, that should be uh, promoted, that there's no politics about the land of Israel and the Jewish people belong together. Well, my final question for you, Winky, and I know Hanukkah is coming out upon us early, and I know you are going to be observing Hanukkah this year. Could you just do us a favor and maybe give us a brief description of Hanukkah, and then just let us know what your family and what you are going to be doing and what's special for you in celebrating Hanukkah at this time of the year? The holiday of Hanukkah recalls the Hasmonean revolt against the Greek-Syrian regime that, among other things, tried to deny Jews their right to religious freedom and liberty, uh, causing idol worship and, and ruling over the Jews in a fashion that was oppressive. One family, called the Hasmonean family, uh, led by a former priest, uh, or a priest in the temple, and his five sons led a revolt that over a period of about a dozen years or so managed to smote or smite the Greeks in various battles, all of which basically took place in Judea and Samaria, by the way. So, of course, you have these non-Zionist Jews celebrating Hanukkah, not realizing that the whole idea of Hanukkah was that, especially in my neighborhood in Shiloh and other places, uh, where the battles uh, fought are very real to us. As a result of that, the temple was rededicated uh, in the rededication ceremony. Oil, sacred oil that was uh, unblemished and, and not made impure was only found for one day. Our belief is that a miracle took place and eight days happened. And so we have eight days of Hanukkah. In the modern observance, and myself included in this, is that we eat a lot of donuts, special donuts. I don't know how to call them in English. We call them sufganiyot, the sort of half-baked, half-otherwise, filled with jelly, jelly-filled donuts, I guess you might call them, and latkes, which are ground potato and onion fried in other words, we always use a lot of oil to remember the holiday, and of course, we'll be sharing gifts with the family. I don't know if we picked that up from our Christian neighbors over Christmas or Thanksgiving, but that's basically what we do today. Uh, thank you for explaining the the importance of Hanukkah, but then the fried food, that sounds delicious. It is, but uh, between you and me and all the women in the kitchen there's a lot of calories involved. <laughs> well, there's always a price to pay, huh? Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and we'd like to wish you and your family a happy Hanukkah. And thank you for being with us, and we look forward to talking to you again soon, Winky. Thank you for having me on, and uh, I wish everybody listening here that they have festive season coming up upon us, Thanksgiving now, and then a little bit later. Everybody should enjoy life to the best of their ability and to the fullest of what life really means. Israel Madad is our gentleman that we always go to, and I, we love talking with him. He lives in Shiloh. Well, another person that we go to is a friend of ours for a long time. Uh, Steve Herzig was always the one that we would go to about the time of the Jewish holidays. And uh, Steve, welcome to the program. Well, Jimmy, good to be here with you. It's good to have you with us. 
Uh, Folks, he's one of the most nicest guys that I know. Not only has he been with us in conferences and I got to know Steve as he taught, which I love to hear him speak. Uh, I've run into him in Israel. In fact, one time we were standing in line coming back from Jordan uh, in a lot, and uh, we <laughs> we just were standing in a security line to get back into Israel. Another time I went to see him locally at a church here, and I wanted to just sit and hear him teach, and he is so knowledgeable. And if you've been listening over the years, you know how knowledgeable Steve is. And Steve, it is a Jewish holiday, and uh, you're back with us. Well, Jimmy, you're so gracious and kind. I love doing it, talking with your father and going over whatever holiday, holy day it was. And uh, just uh, I do remember each of those incidences that you talked about, seeing you uh, at the border. That was exciting, seeing a a face. And then uh, a couple times as I spoke for you to spend the time and make a special effort to come hear me speak and teach was just wonderful. And, and then uh, after your dad went to be with the Lord, uh, asking me to continue. So yes, I, I just really, really appreciate it. And we do have a holiday coming up, and it's Hanukkah. I love Hanukkah. You know, the saying is that uh, whenever there's a Jewish holiday, it usually means that uh, there was bad time for Israel. They had a fight. We won, and let's eat. (laughs) Here's some of the questions that we're going to talk about today, Steve. So when does Hanukkah start? What is the significance of the festival, and how is it celebrated? Now, despite not being mentioned in the Torah, Hanukkah is one of the most highly anticipated and joyous Jewish festivals of the entire year. When does Hanukkah begin this year? Well, Jimmy, it begins Sunday evening, November 28th, and it runs till Monday, uh, till the evening of Monday, December 6th, because, you know, as I know you know this, when the sun goes down, that's officially the next day. Mm. Uh, They don't use 12 o'clock midnight. Uh, They don't use the sun. Uh, Well, they use the sun in the sense that when it goes down and it gets dark, that's (laughs) that's the next day. So a full day is from sunset to uh, sunset the next day. Okay. Now, why is it different? A lot of people always, and and again, you know, we're just helping people to understand why is it on different days? Like there are some years, I think the last time was maybe 2016 when Hanukkah and Christmas overlapped. But why is it different from year to year? Well, you know, we have a a regular calendar you and I use, Gregorian calendar, Mm -hmm. and that's a solar calendar. Jewish people use a Hebrew calendar. The Bible uses a Hebrew calendar. It's a lunar calendar. And instead of a leap day that we have once every four years, one day every four years, they have a leap month called Adar II, which they put in about six times every 19 years. Otherwise, the holidays, since it's 30 days according to the moon, it would end up being, you end up celebrating certain holidays way at the wrong time of year. So it's always adjusted. And so while I was growing up, I would ask my parents, is such and such holiday early or late <laughs> ah, this year? Yeah. Because it, it, so for Hanukkah, an early date would be Really, right around now, the end of November would be an early date, uh, and usually it starts around the first or second week in December, and so that's really the reason why. Now, it happens on the Jewish month of Kislev on the 25th day, correct? And so, That is correct. So what is the significance of the festival? 
Oh, Jimmy, the, the significance is amazing. I could take you to Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 35, and it really has the formula to destroy the Jews. A lot of people don't know that, but God put in uh, in his word, in, through the prophet Jeremiah, the formula to wipe us all out. And that formula is rather simple to understand. God said that if you can go up into the heavens and turn the light out to the sun, mm-hmm. so find that light switch, <laughs> and once you turn the light off to the sun, uh, the moon won't reflect its light. So that's step number one. Step number two is to take the foundation of the earth, get your Stanley tape measure, give us the measurement of the foundation of the earth, and oh, by the way, give us the dimensions of the universe. That is the sky, the whole dimension. And so the reply is going to be, wait a minute, no one can possibly do that. That's exactly right. And so the formula to destroy the Jewish people is to become God, and there's only one of him, and man can never duplicate what God does, which means that Jewish people aren't going away. Unfortunately, none of the people who've tried to wipe us out through history and even currently uh, got that memo. Uh, I wish Antiochus Epiphanes would have gotten that memo back in 165 B.C., uh, a Syrian general who took over, one of the four who took over for Alexander, and he was on his way to uh, attack Egypt, but they had a pact with Rome, and when Rome found out that he wanted to take over, they warned him, and he better stay away, or they would he would meet their wrath. They were coming power, and so as he went back through Israel, Jimmy, he he got angry. He mm-hmm. was like a child, spoiled child, angry. And he decided to legislate, through force, a removal of Judaism, to Mm. assimilate the Jews or kill them. So he went to the Temple Mount, and he killed a pig on the altar, and threw its blood and juice all over the place, and declared Jerusalem un-Jewish, that if they if they celebrated any holiday, followed any law, had circumcisions for their eight-day-old baby boys, all that was outlawed. And as a result, uh, was trying to eliminate the Jewish people, anti-Semitism at its best. Well, what happened is he sent garrisoned soldiers throughout Israel, and he sent one of those garrisons to a place called Modin. You've probably been to the modern oh, yes. Modin. I know mm-hmm. I have. And when you get when he got there, when they got there, they wanted to uh, ask Hellenist Jews, that is, those Jews who who weren't keeping the law, who were pretty comfortable with being secular, to kill a pig and to eat it in front of the people. Mm. Well, when that they asked the high priest, whose name was Mattathias, he refused to do it. And in fact, when a Hellenist Jew volunteered to do it, he killed him. And he had five sons. There was a riot that broke out. Uh, Mattathias and his sons uh, killed that garrison, wiped them out, fled to the mountains, and started guerrilla warfare. Now, the Jewish people were mostly farmers. They weren't fighters. Uh, And once battle after battle was won, they gained more and more confidence until three years later, the Maccabees and the Jewish people were able to go back to the Temple Mount, go up that Temple Mount, and cleanse that temple. They defeated Antiochus, who thought he was God, defeated him. And the story is, Jimmy, that they only could find one flask of oil, enough that would burn only 24 hours, but 
the story, and it's a tradition, is that it lasted eight days, mm. enough for the, uh, the high priest to get kosher or fit oil for the lamp, the seven-branched menorah, which was in the holy place. So it's a memorial to the miracle that took place. It's a great story, Jimmy, and you were right when you said that Jewish people celebrate this day. They really do. It's a kid's day uh, because they play dreidel, which has uh, four letters on it, which stand for a Hebrew sentence, which says, a great miracle happened there. That's certainly for the diaspora Jews, those of us who are scattered outside of Israel. When they're in Israel, they play dreidel, and it says a great miracle happened here. Mm. And there are numbers of miracles, obviously, Jimmy, that happen in Israel. So that's the basic story of Hanukkah. Now, how is Hanukkah celebrated today as far as if you're in your family when you were growing up? Can you just kind of talk us through that first night and then what happened night after night after night? Oh, Jimmy, yeah, it's it's a great time. I, as I said before, uh, whenever there's persecution, Jewish people are in trouble, they call on to God, he delivers them, and we eat, just as we do on Hanukkah. <laughs> yeah. And at Hanukkah, we have anything with oil as a reminder of the great miracle that took place. So uh, donuts are a big deal, mm-hmm. uh, potato pancakes are a big deal, anything with oil is eaten. And the way we celebrate, we have a menorah. It's called a Hanukkah, and you know, Jimmy, you've been in Israel enough to know that when you go to a store to get, uh, you know, if the tourists go to get some sort of gift, they see two different kinds of menorahs. There's the seven-branch menorah and the nine-branch menorah. The seven-branch menorah is the one that models what the temple had, Mm -hmm. seven branches outlined in Leviticus and Exodus. But then there's the nine-branch menorah, and that's for Hanukkah. And so the question would be, wait a minute, I just thought you said it was an eight-day miracle, right? Uh, not a nine-day miracle. But the key is, Jimmy, that one of the candles is usually higher than the other eight, and that's called the shamus candle, the servant candle. Mm. And according to tradition, again, when I was growing up, you always lit the shamus candle with a match, and then that candle was the one that lit each of the day. So the first day, as we said, would be the evening of the 28th. There'll be two candles in the menorah. Uh, One will be the Shamus candle, and then that candle will light the first day. And then there'll be three candles for the second day and four Mm. candles. Every time you light the Shamus, and it serves the other candle by providing the light. And we give gifts as well. We celebrate what happened that Antiochus was defeated, we rededicated the temple, uh, and we were able to worship, have temple worship uh, once again, which begs the question, Jimmy, mm-hmm. I know you, later you'll be talking about Christmas. That mm-hmm. in, a, in, a mo- in less than a month, you'll be talking about Christmas. I could tell you, Jimmy, there would be no Christmas unless there was Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. That's significant. That's why it's so important to us as believers, because uh, Antiochus wanted to wipe out the Jewish people. Um, and it was Judah Maccabee, the eldest son of Mattathias, called the Hammer. Maccabee Judah the hammer. hammer. Yep. That's exactly right. And he, he and his brothers led the way to save, as it were, uh, Judaism and the Jewish people. 
And that's the promise that Jeremiah had back in Jeremiah 31. And so uh, through the saving of the Jewish people, of course, would come the the promised Messiah from the tribe of Judah. Mm. That, of course, would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, celebrating Hanukkah is significant for Jewish people. It coincides with Christmas. I was growing up, I used to be jealous of all the Gentile Christian people I knew. They'd get all these presents, tons of presents under their tree. Well, we get eight presents. My mother would buy little trinkets uh, and each day give us a new present. And that kind of tradition still goes on as presents are shared and uh, lights are lit. And it's a joyous, wonderful day. How can, uh, and I, I started off this by saying that it's not mentioned in the Torah, but it is mentioned in the scriptures. Daniel prophesied that Antiochus would come. Uh, Jesus even went to Jerusalem and he proclaimed that I am the light of the world right after or during the festival of lights. How can we today use this as a way to uh, evangelize to the Jewish people, to our Jewish friends. Well, you know, it, it, you're, you're correct when you say that Hanukkah is not mentioned in the, in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament Scripture, but you're also correct. In John chapter 10, mm. it's very significant because in John chapter 10 and verse 22, it says, now it was the Feast of Dedication, another name for Hanukkah, and it was in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the Temple of Solomon's porch. And, and from verse 22 to verse 30, you have a little account of what was taking place. And, and the Jewish leadership was having trouble with him uh, being the Messiah, the Son of God. He forgave, in chapter 8, he forgave a, a woman caught in adultery. In chapter 9, he, 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 uh, the blind man, he restored his sight. And so he is... He is he is demonstrating who he is, and they're rejecting him. Mm. Uh, and so it's here that he says, using Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication as the background, he says, I and my Father are one. And then he says, no one, that is talking about a sheep, he uses that as an analogy. Mm. He's the great shepherd, he's the chief shepherd, he, and so he says, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Mm. We know that Hanukkah demonstrates that God's promise is true. The Jewish people as a nation, as a people, are not going to be wiped out, and we can apply that in our Christian walk once we truly trust Christ as our Savior. Uh, and that, that is a personal decision, and really the only two persons who know is that person and God. But once we do that, we are locked in. There is no power on earth that can snatch them out, out of uh, out of his hand. Mm. And that that's a verse of eternal security, Jimmy, that's so important to you and I, that, that we know that, hey, it's by grace we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, Amen. lest any man should boast. So that means when we're in Christ, we're locked in, and he uses that holiday, that holy day, that special day of Hanukkah to drive home that point. How could we... Uh, apply that, and how could we reach out to our Jewish friends? Hey, get them a gift at Hanukkah. Uh, I say it doesn't have to be a huge gift, something to acknowledge. If you have a Jewish friend, a neighbor, walk it over to their home, give it to them at their workstation, uh, and just say, hey, I know Hanukkah's coming. Have a happy Hanukkah. Uh, I love the Jewish people. I'm thankful if it weren't for them, I wouldn't have 
my Jewish savior or my Jewish scripture. So have a great holiday. And I am telling you, Jewish people are so thrilled when they are acknowledged by a people, quite frankly, Christians, who they have perceived for years as being enemies of the Jewish people. Mm. Enemies. Mm -hmm. But we're not enemies. We love them. Uh, Your father loved them. Uh, You love them. I love them. And any Bible-believing Christian who knows his or her word, the Word of God, knows that they should love the Jewish people as well. God loves them, and we should love what God loves. So we should love the Jewish people, too. Amen. Amen. I love it, Steve. Thank you so much. So uh, Steve Herzig is with Friends of Israel. You're the national director. I direct the work in North American Ministries. In the North American Ministries. Uh, You have a podcast. Where can people find your podcast? Well, you know, that's interesting you ask. If they go to FOI Equip, mm. FOI Equip, uh, and they go on YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, they can see our Jew and Gentile podcast. Or if they uh, subscribe at a particular service podcast, whether that's Spotify or mm-hmm. uh, Apple or whatever it is, all they have to do is type in the Jew and the Gentile and they could subscribe to our podcast. Oh, wow. Folks, you need to do that. It just You'll get every day or whenever Steve makes a new one, uh, you'll be able to have that and to be able to learn. It's so very important. There's so much to know. Steve, thank you so much again with Friends of Israel, uh, a big supporter. We love their ministry and what they do. Uh, we have many friends there, and Steve is one of them over the years. Thank you so much. Steve, Haksameak to you uh, this holiday season, the holy days, and uh, we'll talk to you again on the next Jewish holiday. Looking forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks a lot. Lord bless. Lord bless. Thank you, buddy. Well, we've got to take a break. And when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother, Rick, we are examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This is a great time, and we've just passed Thanksgiving. You know, Rick, in the month of December, we've got a very special legacy series where Dad looked at the Tower of the Flock, Migdal Adar, referring to Micah chapter 4, Micah chapter 5, uh, the birthplace of Jesus Christ, His fir- the prophecies pertaining to the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. And we'll be taking a look at those in the month of December. But, uh, you know, this is a special month, at, and, it's, and we're coming to the end of the year, aren't we? We are coming to the end of the year, and I do love this legacy series so much, just like I talked about Last week, it gives us a chance to continue to learn. And in that vein as well, uh, we are coming to the end of the year, and many people consider end-of-the-year donations. And I know upcoming is Giving Tuesday. We do need your help, so prayerfully consider. If you would like to contribute to our program, if you go to prophecytoday.com slash partners, or you could call our office at 423-825-6247, uh, we, we would love to partner with you to continue this ministry, and it would be so important to us. 
Today on this Legacy Series, Dad is going to be teaching about the practical and the prophetic of the book of Daniel and how it really fits in and how the book of Daniel is so practical for the world and how we are living our lives today, but the prophetic aspect of the book of Daniel. And remember, Daniel is one of the books that's given to the three strands of the human family. The three strands would be Gentiles, Jews, and Christians. Uh, that's according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. And then the three prophetic books of the Bible that pertain to those three strands would be Daniel for the Gentiles, the times of the Gentiles, Ezekiel, which is a timeline for the, for the judgment on not only the Jewish people, but the nations that come against the Jewish people, and then the restoration of the Jewish people and the Jewish uh, temple in the future that Jesus Christ will build. I, I'm really looking forward to that series. And then, of course, the book of Revelation, which is the timeline for the Christian. What's going to take place after the rapture of the church, during that seven-year period of the tribulation, and then after that, after his second coming back to the earth, that 1,000-year millennial period, and then the great white throne judgment, eternity, future, new heaven, and new earth. So I'm looking forward to those series. But today, our legacy series, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, teaches on the book of Daniel, the times of the Gentiles. The first chapter is the record of Daniel and his buddies, Ananias, Hazariah, and Mishael, being taken into the Babylonian captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar had a, a group of wise counselors, and he wanted these four Jewish boys to become a part of that. So he's going to train them up in his household, giving them from the table of his house to be able to eat and give them unbelievable opportunities that four Jewish boys would be very, very unique in all of history. This is the most powerful man in the world. We were living in his palaces. We're going to be trained. But Daniel, Ananias, Hazariah, and Mishael had been trained up another way. They were orthodox, as we would understand it today. They ate kosher. They lived a special, different life. And so what it says as, these boys, and here's the practical aspect, man, this is a, I wish I could spend time in the practical as well as the prophetic, but notice what it says here in verse eight, but Daniel purposed in his heart to do right. So he purposed to do right. No matter what the consequences might have been, he purposed in his heart. Chapter two is prophetic. Chapter three is a record of the three Hebrew buddies of Daniel being threatened with being thrown into the burning furnace because Nebuchadnezzar, in his pride, erected a 90-foot-high statue of himself. It was nine feet wide at the base. It had a gold head, arms and chest of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, and it was just an unbelievable statue that he had seen in his vision that he erected there. And the boys were supposed to, every time they heard the music sound, bow to that particular statue. Well, they said they weren't going to bow. They said that that was not what their responsibility was. They bowed only to one God. Look what it says in verse 17. If it be so, if indeed you're going to throw us in the burning furnace, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. Wow, that's neat. That's a great announcement. But I don't even like that announcement as much as I like what they said next. Look at verse 18. But if not, 
Wow, that's not our society today. Today is health, wealth, and happiness. Everybody's going to be healthy all the time. That's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say that Christians are to be healthy all the time or wealthy or happy. Happy, happiness is based upon happenings. We should have joy but not be happy. They said, but if not, if our God doesn't deliver us out of the fiery furnace, if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. These men were prepared, prepared to go to death to be obedient. They said there's something more important than living. It's obedience to the most high God. How practical that is. Chapter 4 is about Nebuchadnezzar. He was a very proud character. And uh, he had another vision that Daniel had to interpret for him. I'll not go into all of these things, but the vision was about a tree being cut down, almost completely destroyed, and for a seven-year period of time. And what it ultimately was talking about was Nebuchadnezzar was going to be taken out of the leadership of the Babylonian Empire for a seven-year period of time to teach him that there is a Most High God. That's, uh, that, phrase, that name, uh, Most High God, I think used five times here in the book of Daniel. It's really the name of our God, Yahweh. And he was so proud. And he, he, he was told what the vision was talking about. But he didn't care. Look what it says here in verse 30. And the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? He was proud because of that God took him out. Chapter 6 is another very practical chapter. Daniel, he's now in the Medo-Persian Empire. He comes out of the Babylonian Empire, goes into the Medo-Persian Empire. He was a leader in the Babylonian Empire. He continues that responsibility in the Medo-Persian Empire. And what happens over there is that those underlings underneath Daniel... I mean, he was given responsibility, the governor of all of these other presidents and princesses that were underneath him. They didn't like taking orders from a Jew. And so they went to the king and they manipulated the king into saying, hey, look, we got an idea. Everybody should pray for you and to you. Pray always to you. Well, Daniel had a, you know, a, a tradition that he would three times a day get on his knees and pray to the city of Jerusalem where the temple once stood. That was the location. That was the center of the earth. That's where God tells the Jew from wherever he is or she is, any place in the world, three times a day, the, those traditional Orthodox Jews will pray toward the city of Jerusalem. And so here's Daniel. Notice what it says here. Uh, they tell him to, this is, this is going to happen, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into the house and his windows being open. He didn't hide in the house. In his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He continued on with what he was doing. He prayed. You see, the boys purposed in their heart. They prepared to die. They wanted to be obedient instead of have to keep, save their life. Daniel is going to be a man of prayer no matter what the governmental leaders say. Well, there's so much practical aspect in there. I wish I could spend more time. But let me go now to the significant prophetic 
passages in the book of Daniel. There are four chapters I told you about. The first one is chapter 2. Let me give you the other three so you can focus on these prophecies. Chapters 2, 7, 9, and 11. Those four chapters are key to understanding what God is going to do, not only with and through the Gentile, but the Jewish people as well. Do you remember chapter 2? And you've probably read Daniel enough. I can just go and rehearse some of the points in this special passage. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He didn't understand what the dream meant. He called his wise men in. He said, fellas, I need an interpretation to this dream. And as they stood there, they said, okay, King Nebuchadnezzar, give us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. He said, no, no, no. I give you the dream. You can make up an interpretation. If you know the interpretation, give me the dream also. He said, no, that's never happened before. King Nebuchadnezzar said, it's going to happen this time or I'm going to cut your heads off. Well, Daniel and his three Hebrew buddies weren't there. They were Baptist Jews and they were having a prayer meeting. Because they knew that this was ultimately going to be their responsibility. But God said, Daniel, because you're purposed in your heart, I'm going to give you the gift of interpreting the dream. I'll even give you the dream. And he comes in to Nebuchadnezzar before Nebuchadnezzar realizing if he doesn't get this right, he's going to have his head cut off. And he talks about the dream. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw an image of a man, a gold head, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, ten toes of iron and clay, a stone uncut by human hands destroys this image into like shaft on the threshing floor. The winds of the summer come along, blow it away. That stone becomes a mighty mountain. Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, that's pretty good. Wow, that's the dream. I, I, I guess you can probably give me the interpretation. Go here to verse 37, chapter 2. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom. Look, God gave Nebuchadnezzar the kingdom and the power and the strength and the glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beast of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given unto thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And so we now start to see. You know, I I say often, it doesn't take a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist to study Bible prophecy. It simply takes looking at what the Word of God says. This is an image. This is apocalyptic literature. This is a symbol that God is setting up. He says, the head of gold is the Babylonian Empire. O King Nebuchadnezzar, thou art the head of gold. And then in his interpretation, there will be a second kingdom, a third kingdom, a fourth kingdom. And out of that fourth kingdom will come ten toes, a fifth kingdom. And he's giving him the interpretation. What he's talking about here is the Gentile world powers. This is the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles defined would be the time in history when the Gentile world controls the Jewish people and the city of Jerusalem. Because when Gentiles control the Jews... And Jerusalem, it's the time of the Gentiles. Daniel is taken into the captivity in 605 B.C., 597 B.C., when Ezekiel was taken into the captivity. But in 605, this becomes the times of the Gentiles. Jerusalem will be over, be controlled by the Gentile world. The Jews will be controlled by the Gentiles as well. And by the way, that is exactly what's happening today. 
We're still in the times of the Gentiles. This is the beginning of it. That stone destroying that image is going to be Jesus Christ coming back to defeat the Gentiles. That's the purpose for this period of time called the tribulation. The stone and that stone becoming a mountain, that's the kingdom that will be set up. And so it is, we see in the first chapter that's prophetic, chapter 2, how the Gentiles come to power. As you've seen in our study of Daniel today, this book is very practical. In chapter 1, Daniel purposed in his heart to do right. The three Hebrew young men in chapter 3 were prepared to die if that is what the Lord wanted. And in chapter 6, Daniel did not stop praying daily, even though he faced death in the lion's den. We also, in our study, realized that we must understand the term times of the Gentiles, a time when Jews and Jerusalem are under Gentile control, in order to understand the prophetic section of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2 lays out for the student of Bible prophecy the period in history known as the Times of the Gentiles. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, The Times of the Gentiles in the book of Daniel. We're going to take a break from the book of Daniel and we'll be looking at the prophecies pertaining to the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. That's all ahead in the month of December. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. More than 50 churches were banned from gathering in India's Madhya Pradesh state last week. The ban came as a result of pressure from nationalist groups. Christians in India continue to be targeted by nationalist and religious extremist groups. With Christmas approaching, Eric with Mission India says believers are bracing for more persecution. Pray that India's believers would be encouraged at this time and find community this Christmas. And deaf teams in El Salvador are back to working in person following pandemic lockdowns earlier this year. With support from Wycliffe USA and a local church, deaf believers are translating God's word into their native sign language. Most of the deaf in El Salvador don't identify with religion. In order to grow in their faith and knowledge of Jesus, they need scripture in Salvadoran sign language. Pray for the health and safety of the translation team as they press forward with this task. Details at missionnews.org. Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a listener-supported service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., along with Rick. 
As we looked at uh, and we listened to our broadcast partners today talk about the events that are taking place, it, you know, it, it really does seem like we are covering uh, many of the same stories, but those are the nations that are in Bible prophecy. They are, and if you wanted to start off with Ken Timmerman, he was our first interview on this program. We spent a lot of time talking about China, and even if you were to open a newspaper today right now or go to a uh, a mainstream news website, you would see a lot about China. They're certainly in the news, but we know that they have a role to play in Bible prophecy as well. They sure do. You know, and, and even uh, there were two stories that, that I thought that were prominent in the news last week. One is the United States' vulnerability to Chinese electromagnetic attack. And that, that story uh, quoted a lot of Peter Pry. Peter Pry, we've had on our program before. The United States is really at the mercy, I believe, um, and I've said this often, United States is not mentioned in Bible prophecy except in Zechariah chapter 14 when it says all nations will be gathered to the city of Jerusalem. And if the United States is still around after the rapture of the church, it will be gathered there. So, you know, when you look at these stories that are, are appearing on different uh, uh, on different news uh, sources and the attack of an electromagnetic uh, pulse attack on the United States, which would render us basically inoperable as a nation, um, yes, we're seeing these uh, nations that are coming together that are going to be playing a major role in the end times. And there's also another one where China shows solidarity with Iran amid pressure. Uh, we, we see China, and we had a question from one of our listeners pertaining to China and Russia and China and Iran. Again, this is why we focus on those nations so that you know, we might know, we might understand that they're moving into power again. The major parts and pieces to Bible prophecy are falling into place. A story we don't often cover or a topic we don't often cover, Jimmy, is the growth and the continued growth of the uh, ultra-Orthodox, the Haredi in Israel. And how might that be important when it comes to the role that they are going to play in God's end time scenario? Oh, yes. Well, it definitely plays a role. You know, not only do we see the prophecy of Ezekiel 37 of the two sticks being put in separate hands, one named Judah and one Ephraim, and, and then they come back together in, in the hand as Ezekiel is told to, to write these things down. But, you know, when you look at in Revelation chapter 7 and the 12,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel, 144,000, I believe that those 144,000 are largely going to come from the religious Jewish population in Israel as they uh, begin to come back on the scene as the two witnesses from Revelation 11 preach on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. And these 144,000 male virgin Jews, it says in Revelation chapter chapter 14, they come to prominence and they will then take the gospel, the message that Jesus is the true Messiah and how to have eternal life. They will take that message to all of the earth and the gospel will be given at that point in time to the whole earth. So yes, it plays a very uh, important role in the future. Well, and also if you look at it, you know, they are studying the Old Testament. But if you're following along on our daily devotionals that we send out daily, 
and then I'm personally going through a, a Bible study. Essentially, we've been in Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, and it's so amazing how everything points towards Christ. These religious, ultra-Orthodox religious Jews, obviously, they do not believe in Christ right now, but they're studying the Old Testament Scripture, and at some point, their eyes are going to be open and they're going to be illuminated as to who Christ really was. And today, we also heard from Winky Madad and Steve Herzig. Uh, They were both talking about Hanukkah that is coming up, the Festival of Dedication or the Festival of Lights. With Winky Madad, we talked about not only the the struggle for the land that is the Jewish people and what belongs to them, but the Palestinians that are fighting and have a conflict with the Jewish people. We talked about the awareness of the Jews and the Temple Mount and the temple that will be standing in the future. And with Steve Herzog, we talked about the Jewish people and Hanukkah. And it was Jesus who said himself, I am the light of the world. I have come that you might have eternal life. You know, I think it's important in these times, and we learn from Steve and his ministry at Friends of Israel, we learn from Steve how important and how we could use these Old Testament stories and uh, principles and things that take place, as you said, Rick, we can use those when we are witnessing to the Jewish people during this holiday or holy day season. You're 100% correct, Jimmy, and it was great hearing about Hanukkah from the Jewish perspective, but then also, of course, from Steve Herzig from Friends of Israel and the Christian perspective there as well. Yes. And on the Legacy Series today, we're teaching through the book of Daniel, the times of the Gentiles, the practical and prophetic aspect of the book. And I'm so looking forward to the next series that will take place in the month of December about where uh, the Messiah, the one that would come, where he would be born, and all the prophecies pertaining to not only his first coming, but the second coming. Rick, thanks so much for joining with me today on the program. Thanks for doing the work, the legwork, and uh, asking the serious questions, helping the body of Christ to, uh, as we examine current events, to understand the times in which we're living. Yes, Jimmy, it's been a pleasure today, and uh, this is so very important for our ministry that you understand what's taking place and that you're able to place it in proper context, and that's what we're here for. Yes, we take a look at current events, we look at what's happening, how it relates to Bible prophecy, and really, God is such an awesome God, but he says, look, I cannot tell you when these events are going to take place, but I can show you And that's what we do as we see these uh, nations and leaders and events kind of lining up. That stage is set for Bible prophecy, that final timeline, uh, beginning with the rapture of the church, going into the tribulation period, the second coming, the 1,000-year millennial kingdom, and then the great white throne judgment. The whole reason of why we study Bible prophecy is to help to motivate us to live a pure, productive, holy life in an unholy world and to know the times in which we're living, to prioritize our lives so that we can be busy about the Lord's work. Rick, thanks so much. We'll see you again next week on the radio. I'm looking forward to it, Jimmy. Thank you for joining with us today. And if you have a question or a comment, please send it to Jimmy Jr. at prophecytoday.com. Well, with all that we've seen today, and again, as we examine current events, we can't help but say that the rapture could happen at any moment. Let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.